I V M. It was the late 1920s, and the haunting memory of the Jallianwala Bagh massacre still lingered in the minds of every Indian. The East India Company had imposed oppressive rules exploiting Indians in every way imaginable. The Indigo Act and the unfair land revenue system compelled Indian farmers to cultivate indigo and impoverish them. As the British Empire flourished, supplying indigo to the huge European market demands. The most terrible was the Rowlett Act, granting the British extensive powers to arrest and detain Indians without any trial, thereby suppressing any form of protest or revolt. And the most impactful of them all was the Salt Tax. Which granted the British government a monopoly on salt production and imposed a heavy tax on Indian salt. The Indian socio-political and economic situation was completely in ruins. It was during these dark times that Mohandas Karamchand Gandhi had to think of a ploy to save his motherland and protest against British exploitation. But this revolution had to begin from somewhere, and it would be impossible without the engagement and the support of the masses. Given the vastness and the diversity in the Indian population, it was very difficult for Gandhiji to unite all these different different people into one mission. He needed one big idea, and then one day he remarked, "Next to air, water." Salt is perhaps the greatest necessity of life. Hello and welcome to a century of stories brought to you by IDFC First Bank. Always you first. I'm your host Kunal Jaikar, and this is the story about Mahatma Gandhi's ultimatum to the Viceroy. That was the beginning of the civil disobedience movement. This was 1930, and Bapu Mahatma Gandhi was ready to revolt against the British Raj, but in his own non-violent way. His mission was to convert the British and thus make them see the wrong they had done to India. His mission was to save his countrymen from starving to death and from British oppression. So he decided to begin this movement by breaking. The British imposed salt laws. He knew he could unite the vast Indian population and bring together the diverse people of this country through this andolan. But before he took the first step to what was going to become the biggest andolan ever, he sat down at his Sabarmati ashram and drafted a letter on the 2nd of March, 1930. A letter. Which was the ultimatum to Lord Irwin, the Viceroy of India, a polite yet adamant demand to the British government to stop exploitation. Gandhiji specifically mentioned that this letter was not in any way intended as a threat, but was simply a sacred duty. But he warned, if this letter went unanswered, then on the 11th day of March. he would proceed with his co-workers of the ashram and disregard the provisions of the british salt laws and embark upon a journey of civil disobedience an ultimatum indeed 
In his letter, Gandhiji outrightly stated, I hold the British rule to be a curse. They have impoverished our millions by a system of progressive exploitation. And the most surprising aspect of Gandhi's ultimatum letter was that he got it delivered to the Viceroy by a British friend who he said believed in the Indian cause. In his letter, he mentioned about 11 salient points specifying the reforms he wanted in the British administration. These included demands such as reducing land revenue and taxes on salt, clothes and other daily use items, reducing British civil and military expenditure, releasing all political prisoners and many, many more such points. With this, the world was about to witness one of the most revolutionary attempts to overthrow a government, albeit by non-violent methods. On March the 12th, 1930, Bapu started walking towards Dandi along with his followers from the Sabarmati Ashram and eventually breached the British salt laws by making salt at the Dandi seashore. The salt march, famously known as the Dandi March, started with as few as 78 people. But as more and more people joined on his course of a 390-kilometer journey, it expanded to a force of 50,000 people, resulting in a widespread Satyagraha movement across the country. It took Gandhiji 24 days to reach Dandi on foot, passing through four districts and 48 villages. At every halt during the day's end, Gandhi spoke to the volunteers and the local village crowd. He also gave interviews and wrote articles for the press that gave his movement worldwide recognition. Thousands of Satyagrahis and leaders like Sarojini Naidu joined him in this revolution. As more and more people joined the march, the procession of marchers itself became almost three kilometers long. And to keep up their spirits, the marchers sang the very popular Hindu bhajan Raghupati Raghav Raja Ram while walking. Finally, the Dandi march ended on the 5th of April, 1930. The following morning, on the 6th of April at half past eight, Bapu broke the British Raj salt laws by producing salt from the seawater. After a prayer, Gandhiji raised a lump of salty mud and declared, With this, I am shaking the foundations of the British Empire. He then boiled seawater producing salt. He implored his thousands of followers, the villagers, to begin making salt along the seashore wherever and whenever convenient. Gandhiji's message passed to the people of the country and mass civil disobedience spread throughout India as millions broke the salt laws by making salt at various seashores around the country. This non-violent protest left the British confused about whether or not to jail Gandhi. His movements exercised tremendous pressure on the British government and shook its foundation. Bapu had once said, in a gentle way, you can shake the world. True to his vision, he had really shaken the world and began the civil disobedience movement. You've been watching A Century of Stories brought to you by IDFC First Bank. Always you first, I'm Kunal and I'll see you next week to tell you 
about a film, Mother India, a milestone in Indian cinema.